0: Greetings, everyone. We are going live to discuss Ken Wilson's book. The book, as you may recall, is Augustine's conversion from traditional free choice to non-free free free will. We have been examining a number of the errors, the particular page that we are, not just errors, but also the the good observations as well. But we are focused on page 66 today. And specifically within page 66 on the section, which I think you can see my cursor on your screen, the section is the, not this paragraph where Origin denies salvation can ever be attained, but Origin distinguishes grace from rewards. Last time with Dan, we discussed this statement, Christians earn rewards through their own efforts by availing themselves of God's grace, while grace itself, not good works or faith, is God's gift. And we concluded that that is not an accurate summary of those two chapters of the book. And also, incidentally, it's not an accurate discussion of the commentary on Romans 4, verses 4 through 5, in case that was someone's thought. I, there's some reason to think, not just giving him the benefit of the doubt that he knows how to cite in the most you know expected way, but... But also there's some further discussion that comes really sort of towards the bottom of this page. You see this origin rejects justifying uh, faith as God's gift, but then really more on page 67. When we come to that, we'll maybe uh, invite Dan back on. I mean, he's always welcome to come on here if he wants, but uh, I'll especially invite him to come on here for that section if we are able to do so, to discuss the follow-up where Dr. Wilson goes into more of his details of his arguments. So that said, let's take a peek at the subject uh, we're going to discuss today, which is the next sentence. The next sentence being, uh, let's see. Higher honor and rewards, (parentheses payment, come to those who are diligent in pursuing God then he says, for example, Commentary on Romans, Book 8, Chapter 7, Section 4, and Book 8, Chapter 7, Section 7, and especially those who suffer martyrdom valiantly, Exhortation 14. And the Exhortation 14 is a book by origin called The Exhortation, or a work by origin called The Exhortation to Martyrdom. And I believe that one is available in Greek. Although the Roman commentary is largely not available in Greek. But nevertheless, we are going to consider these things. So what's the best way to do this? I think the best way will be to start in on the chapter itself. So the... Let's see, the best place in the chapter to start might be there, or let's see what we can do. Cycle through all the sections. So this is the beginning of book eight, chapter seven. And I just read the whole chapter, comment on it as I go through. And we'll come back to the question of the relationship of this material to what Dr. Wilson has alleged in terms of grace, payments, and so forth. Or not grace. In this case, honor and rewards payment to those who are diligent in pursuing God, and especially those who suffer martyrdom valiantly. So this is really not on the martyrdom side. At least that's not how he cited it, but we'll see what he what it says. So it begins with a quotation, and the quotation, as you can see, is from Romans 11, 1 through 6. I say then, has God disowned his own people? By no means. For even I myself am an Israelite from the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Benjamin. God has not disowned his people, whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have overturned your altars, and I alone am left. And they're seeking my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed their knees to Baal. So then, also at this time, there has been a remnant, according to the elections, of grace. But if it is grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. This is God's word. that. Now let's consider what Origen says about it. On the basis of what has been said above, it could perhaps seem that the people of the Jews have been disowned by God and no longer have any hope. If indeed God had made them jealous of those who are not a nation and angry at a foolish nation, and he became manifest to those who were not seeking him and was found by those who were not asking about him. In light of this, the apostle wants to tend to these things and show that a way of salvation remains for the people of Israel if they believe. And since they were disowned, not because they are the race of Israel, but because they became unbelievers, he says God has not disowned his people whom he foreknew. And in order that he might prove this by means of a current example, he adds, for even I myself am an Israelite from the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Benjamin. And yet I am teaching faith in Jesus and I am announcing that he is the Christ. But if the fact that I'm an Israelite and from the seed of Abraham did not stand in the way for me, that I would believe in Christ and would be justified by faith in Him. It is. Let's see. I apologize. Uh, I may. I hope I'm not missing any any pages here, but it kind of feels like I am. On it. Let's go back. It is uh, here he goes. It is certain. It is certain that God has not disowned His people, whom He foreknew. Now, how those whom He foreknew, those these He has also called, and those whom He called, these He also justified, has already been said above, and that refers back, of course to his discussion earlier. So when he says above, he means earlier in the same uh, series of comments, not necessarily in this chapter. In the scriptures, it is recorded that God foreknows, not so much that he knows the future in advance, which cannot be doubted, but that he approves of and deems people worthy of knowledge of himself. This is an interesting problem or interesting dilemma What does origin mean here? One way of interpreting origin here would seem to be suggesting that he is, and it may be the most natural reading, the most natural reading may be that he's actually saying that God looks into the future, sees who's worthy, and then acts on the basis of that uh, knowledge. And it is puzzling how that could be reconciled with grace but let's, let's continue on without getting too judgmental about origin at this point. Let's see what else he has to say. He says, Lest it be insufficiently apparent that the apostle, by offering himself as an example, was illustrating that the people of God had not been disowned, he searches for more weighty examples and says, Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've overturned your altars, and I alone am left, and they're seeking my life in which he is teaching that even the prophet was once filled with zeal for God when he put forth a complaint before God over the transgression of people who had not only killed the prophets and overturned the altars, but were attempting to destroy Elijah, who appeared to be the only one left of the Lord's prophets. And while Elijah was deploring this before the Lord, listen to what the divine oracles responded to him. I have kept for myself, it says, 7,000 men who have not bowed their knees to Baal. Baal is the name of the idol to whose worship the people fell away when they had forsaken the law of God. This is what the apostle adduces as an example for the present time. And he adds, So then, also at this time, there has been a remnant according to the election of grace. But if grace it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. Thus, to the best of our abilities, it must be shown how, just as it happened under Elijah when the prophet thought that all the people had been rejected, all at once, 7,000 men are found who had abided in God's covenant. In the same way, it has also come to pass as well at the coming of Christ and in these times in which Paul is preaching. There's some footnotes here. Nothing that should change any meaning of what we're reading. Let me see. I'm going to jump to the right section. So we're in the middle of three. We'll come shortly to four. Apologize for the weird, uh, you can see the, Highlighted portion at the top. And consider whether perhaps we can put John the Baptist, who perceived the coming of the Savior, in the place of Elijah, seeing that even the gospel wears such a witness to him that he would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And the Lord himself said of him, If you want to know, and if you want to know, he himself is Elijah. He who has ears to hear, uh, ears for hearing, uh, let him hear. He then who had come in the spirit and power of Elijah, was so filled with despair concerning the people that he did not call them Abraham's offspring, but the offspring of vipers. And to these things he said additionally, do not say we have Abraham for a father, for I say to you that God can raise up sons of Abraham from stones. So then to this one who makes such complaints about the people, our Lord and Savior may respond, I know whom I have chosen. And once more, my sheep hear my voice and I go before them. And my own follow me. And again, I also have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them in also. But let us also, now we're coming, by the way, we're finally coming. I read for the first three sections of chapter uh, seven. We're coming to the first of the two sections that was cited by Dr. Wilson. But let us also see what 7,000, the number of men, indicates. The number seven pertains to rest, for on the seventh day God rested. Listen then, in addition to Christ inviting those who believe in him to rest, he says, Come to me, you who labor and are burdened down, and you will find rest for your souls. Therefore, everyone belongs to the number of seven, who, when they come to Christ, have laid aside the burdens of sins and have found the rest of salvation. The apostle then rightly says, so also at this time there has been a remnant according to the election of grace he is calling those from the circumcision who have believed the remnant both the apostles among whom he numbers himself and the others who along with them have followed the faith uh, have uh, along with them have followed in faith in Christ but when he says that there has been a remnant according to the election of grace it does not seem to me that the added word election is superfluous for he could have said there has been a remnant through grace but he is showing by this that there is a grace both without election and with election for doubtless all indeed who are saved through faith are saved through grace but it seems to me that those who are saved through the election of grace are shown to have more perfect souls For just as everyone who descends from the race of Israel is called Israel, but he is a true Israelite who sees God with a pure mind and a sincere heart, so also we can understand concerning this that everyone who comes to faith in Christ comes through grace, but the one who adorns the gift of grace with works of virtue and with purity of heart will be said to be saved by Christ not only through grace, but also through the election of grace. Now this is an interesting, uh, this is an interesting point. Remember that uh, Dr. Wilson cited this with respect to the idea of higher honor and rewards come to those who are diligent in pursuing God. Now here it is clear that origin makes a distinction between different people, some who come to faith, and then some who actually adorn the gift of grace with works of virtue and with purity of heart. But here, is it, he says not to be saved only through grace, but through the election of grace. It's not 100% clear to me how the term election is being understood here by Origen. It almost seems like he's, he's using it as a synonym for excellence. If he is using it here as a synonym for excellence, then the excellence of grace, now it's a strange English translation, if that's correct. And of course, you know, I have to defer sometimes to the translator. But if it is indeed the the meaning of excellence of grace, then it's almost as though he's not, he's ascribing the election of grace to it, it almost seems as though he's uh, uh, attributing that to human effort, but it's unclear. Does he mean that it's through human effort or does he mean it's through greater giving of God's grace to these people? But in any event, there, this is the, uh, the statement that is provided here. It says, one who adorns the gift of grace with works of virtue and with purity of heart, he will be sa- sa- said to be saved by christ not only through grace but also through the election of grace anyway after all even the apostle himself if anyone observes him in his words he sees how he uses distinctions of this sort in one passage he names israel according to the flesh in another he does not make any mention of that of the flesh as in the present passage where when he said god has not disowned his own people and he wanted to set forth the nobility of the israelite soul he says for i also am an israelite But in 2 Corinthians, where he's forced to respond to certain men from the Israelite race who are boasting according to the flesh, see what he says first. What What am I saying? I do not say according to the Lord, but as it were, in foolishness, in this matter of boasting, since many indeed are boasting according to the flesh. I too shall boast. And after a few things, he says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. So then, when he was speaking about Israel in the inner man, for such is the people whom God has foreknown and has not disowned, he does not say Israel according to the flesh. But when he is speaking of, uh, to those who were boasting in their fleshly race, he says first, he first said that in boasting of this sort, he was not speaking according to the Lord or in wisdom, but as he himself says, in foolishness such then is the remnant that has been according to the election of grace. And he has added, but if grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. By the way, this is the, the tricky part. If someone's saying that the election according to grace is to those who have, uh, who add good works to the grace, how does he mean that it's not on the basis of works? But let's see what he says <clears throat> one should know that if the works paul repudiated and frequently criticizes are not the works of righteousness that are commanded in the law but those in which in which those who keep the law according to the flesh boast i.e the circumcision of the flesh the sacrificial rituals the observance of sabbaths or new moon festivals these then and works of this nature are the ones on the basis of which he said no one can be saved <clears throat> and concerning which, he says in the present passage, not on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. I pause here to say, actually, no. I mean, I, I I, appreciate this is Origen's position, and this is an accurate translation of Origen and so forth. What I'm saying is, no, Origen's not getting it right here. If it's on the basis of works at all, I mean our works, not Christ's work. If it's on our work basis of our works at all, then it's not on the basis of grace. But I'll continue. For if anyone is justified through these, he is not justified gratis. But these works are by no means sought from the one who is justified through grace. But this one should take care that the grace he has received should not be in him in vain, as Paul also said. So his grace in me was not in vain, but I worked harder than any of them. And again he adds, as one mindful of grace, not I, but the grace of God with me. So then one does not make grace become in vain who joins works to it that are worthy and who does not show himself ungrateful for the grace of God. For anyone who sins after having attained grace becomes ungrateful to him who offered the grace. So again, while Origen repeatedly speaks about grace alone, And praise his grace, he does seem to have a heavy emphasis on morally upright works here, and not necessarily just as added rewards. Maybe there's some discussion, and we'll come to that in the next section. Uh, We already looked at one of the two sections Wilson identified. We're coming up to the next one. But just just bear in mind, Wilson had said, higher honor and rewards, payment, come to those who are diligent in pursuing God. But here you can see that Paul is not interpreting great. Paul is not just saying that you can get some bonus. He's actually saying, if you sin after you attain grace, you become ungrateful to him who offered the grace. So, well, we'll see. We'll see actually perhaps elsewhere, or perhaps another time, if if origin doesn't get into it here, what does origin do with someone who has faith and doesn't have works? Uh, but we'll, we, maybe we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So it says, uh, uh, section seven, but if you do not cause grace to become vain, grace will be multiplied to you and you will attain a multitude of graces as a reward for the good works. As he himself writes, and as Peter says in his epistle, "Grace and peace be multiplied to you, in the recognition of God." And likewise, in another passage, as good stewards of the multiplied grace of God. So, the there's an interesting uh, there's an interesting treatment that Origen has here, and we'll try to if I can find my way back. We'll try try to come back here to Ken Wilson's statement. So Ken Wilson had said that higher honor and rewards come to those who are diligent in pursuing God. But I would say the interesting thing about uh, 877 is here, which is the uh, second of those two citations, the 877 is the second of the two citations. The interesting thing here is origin does seem to suggest that basically if you get grace, you get first you get some grace, then if you make good use of that grace, you can get additional grace. And grace just multiplies to you. It is interesting though, how is that distinguished from rewards? Because he remember he's claiming in this paragraph, origin distinguishes grace from rewards. And yet if you go back and you look at seven seven. He says, if you do not cause grace to become in vain, grace will be multiplied to you and you will attain a multitude of graces as a reward for the good works. So how in the world is this consistent with what Dr. Wilson's saying? It's almost exactly the opposite of what he's, of what Origen is saying. He's saying grace, there is some kind of initial grace, but there's also, grace is a reward for good works. It's so strange, such a strange characterization of origin that that Dr. Wilson's providing. However, that said, let's uh, switch our focus from, oh, in the background is an etching of origin. In the last episode, I think I introduced it, but if not, so you know what that is. I will now, oh, let me uh, quickly, while I have this on my mind, let me quickly add the comments, if any, that are coming in via Facebook into the feed of things I can see. I don't know. There probably there may not be any. This is not a great time for people, but just in case there are any. I want to make sure they appear in the feed. Comments are welcome as always in these episodes or nearly always. So, let's let's uh, also then let me present the Origin Exhortation to Martyrdom. So, the as you can see, I'm using a loaned version of this work. I'll try to have a, a paper copy available in the future, but I wanted to, wanted to go ahead and read this today. And as you can see, it's not that long, uh, but this is section 14 of his Exhortation to Martyrdom. It says, therefore, one of those already martyred and who possessed something more than many of the martyrs in their Christian love of learning, will ascend quite swiftly to those heights. And you, holy Ambrose, by examining the saying of the gospel with great care, are able to see that perhaps none, or only a few, will attain some special and greater flood of blessings. Why such a lot be yours, if you get safely through the contest without flinching? Words put it this way, once Peter said to the Savior, Lo, we have left everything and followed you. What then shall we have? Jesus said to them, that is the apostles, Truly I say unto you, in the new world, when God shall sit on his glorious throne, you you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left brothers or sisters, or parents or children, or lands or houses, for my name's sake, will receive a manifold reward and inherit eternal life. Because of these words, if I possessed on earth as much as you have, or even more, I should pray that I might become a martyr to God in Christ, so that I might receive manyfold, whereas as Mark says, a hundredfold, which is much more than the few things we leave behind if we are called to martyrdom, since they are multiplied by a hundred. For this reason, if I became a martyr, I should wish also to leave behind children with lands and houses, so that from the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom every family on heaven and earth is named, I might be called the Father of manifold, or to use the exact figure, a hundredfold, and holier children. And if there are fathers about whom it was said to Abraham, you shall go to your fathers in peace. When you have been buried in a good old age, someone might say, though I do not know whether he be speaking the truth, that perhaps those fathers, are those who were once martyrs and left children behind, in return for whom they have become fathers of the ch- fathers, the patriarch Abraham and the other patriarchs. For in all likelihood, those who have left children behind and become... I apologize. I need to... Uh, uh, the, it's just the last line at the top here. It's, a, it's hard to read, but it says, those who have become martyrs are fathers, not of infants, but of, father, of fathers. So you become a father of father through enduring martyrdom, according to um, origin. So this part, I would say, does tend to support what Dr. Wilson's saying, not in terms of uh, any connection specifically with grace or, or anything like that, but in terms of saying that those who suffer martyrdom doesn't seem to have any effort on whether they do so valiantly or not, that just seems to be some gloss, although perhaps valiance is somehow mentioned in the, uh, in the work. But in any event, the, the reward for martyrdom in Origen's mind is to get a, a uh, multiplication of their rewards. So that is, that's, this, that's as far as I had hoped to go in my discussion of dr wilson's paragraph as you may recall as i said there's still uh, on this page there's still one more sentence the uh, citation to first principles to the greek of the first principles uh, which i I definitely think warrants a separate discussion and then uh, there's some interaction between wilson and sheck the translator of the uh, Romans commentary. So we're gonna address that, God willing, next time. Uh, Let me see the comments that have come in. Um, Let's see, Patrick asks, can I ask how people like Dr. Ken Wilson, who lies so much, can be saved? Well, the way that anyone can be saved is by having faith in Christ, whether their sins are sins of deception or other kinds of sins. The only way to be saved is by trusting Christ alone for salvation, as he's offered in the gospel. Scriptures explain that to us. And although I do have a very big problem with deceptive arguments, I don't, I don't accept them from people who call themselves evangelicals, like Dr. Wilson, I think, would refer to himself as an evangelical or a Protestant Christian. He would call himself those things, and he is not... If if indeed if these are knowing misrepresentations, then I would say he's lying because if he knows that that's not what Origin says and yet he represents it that way, that would be a lie. However, I don't know whether that's the explanation for these what seem to be quite glaring errors in his understanding of Origin. Maybe there's another explanation. And as we go through, we'll try to eliminate some of the other explanations. And also, this review will provide Dr. Wilson with an opportunity. Although he's been provided already, there's at least one of his critics has identified some of these same errors. I don't know exactly. I'm going to be going through the whole chapter and at least some of the errors that I point out. I may, I may find places I agree, but there will be at least some errors that I point out. And some of these have already been presented to Dr. Wilson in the form of an Amazon review of his book. And he has already responded by video to those points. If we come, or when we come to that section, God willing, we will listen to what Dr. Wilson said and we'll respond to it, assuming I haven't already done so. But I wasn't very impressed by the response he provided. But he did suggest go and look at this section in his response. So we're going to be doing that. He, I think he actually alleged that his critic had not read the book, which is kind of an absurd co- comment. It's a very specific allegation of error that was made. And it's a these specific allegations do demonstrate that the person has read the book. But anyway, uh, for now, I'm willing to give Dr. Wilson the benefit of the doubt that either the mistakes are mine, that somehow I've misunderstood, but the more that we kind of put these pieces together, the more we see what, uh, what origin actually says, the more that Dr. Wilson's position becomes untenable. And we're doing it in a systematic and thorough way, trying to do it in a way that's not salacious, not uh, provocative, but one that does call uh, Dr. Wilson to a greater accuracy. And I do point out, and this is not something that he just kind of po- posted somewhere on a blog, my understanding is this book, from which we're getting all of the comments, was first his doctoral thesis. Now, it wasn't a doctoral thesis on Origin per se, or even on, uh, I want to say here, I don't remember if it was, I think it was a doctor in, it was a doctor of philosophy, I think, in philosophy, not in logistics per se but that shouldn't make a difference and uh, you know as well now the edition that we're looking at is something that's published in a very reputable by a very reputable publisher as part of a series studies in the text of uh of the you know ancients and christian uh christianity this stack you can see—I don't know if you can see in, in the uh, on the spine. Uh, anyhow, you know this—it's a reputable publisher, and they have good editors and so forth. So some of these mistakes are very hard to understand as just uh, you know typos or something like that. There's uh, you know some of the mistakes are maybe very—I'm being very picky, when I say things like it's odd that he cites two whole chapters for a very small point, but you know, people can, I mean, there's no rule against that. It's odd that he cites the phylocalia as his way of interpreting origin, but I mean, it's okay. You can cite the phylocalia. They are, it is work, you know, material produced by origin, even though it's not in the form that origin provided. You could even cite katena, a or, or katena or katenae, although I don't know if he actually does that at any point. But the bottom line is, uh, we have a number of issues here. and We're gonna try to go through them. Uh, I'd rather not make it about whether Dr. Wilson is saved or not. That's really, I mean, that's a very serious question, but one for his consideration. It doesn't really enter into my arguments here. In other words, what I'm saying is, whether Dr. Wilson is saved or not, my criticism of his book would be the same. So, uh, really, not getting into that point. Uh, and if he is a believer and he is saved, then I just exhort him to, uh, if there's actually lies in here as opposed to just mistakes, then I would, of course, exhort him to repentance of that. And I would hope and pray to God that he would exhibit such repentance, which is what Christians do after they have lied, which sometimes Christians do, unfortunately. Uh, we do sin, but we ought to repent and uh, turn from those sins. So, this is less about just a, any kind of personal critique of Dr. Wilson and more of a focus on on what he's teaching in this book. A lot of which so far hasn't been of the best quality. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for uh, for saying hi. I I don't see other comments at this time. So, oh, I should quick. I can quickly check Twitter we could wrap this uh, episode up more quickly, perhaps. Uh, So, yeah. I I think I'll I'll wrap this episode up more quickly. God willing, the next episode on this topic will be on the the idea that he states, so to whet your appetite, he states, he admits, referring to origin, some persons do relegate individual good behavior to unilateral divine infusion into the human will, the heretics who destroy free choice. So we'll see if that's the case. And if so, that would have an interesting bearing on one of the main theses of this book, the thesis of you know, Augustine's role in the history of christianity so if if indeed augustine has some christian heretics according to origin who come before him and teach the same thing that would be interesting but we'll, we'll examine the uh we'll examine the, the statement on its own without getting into the, how it connects back to dr wilson's thesis That will be followed by a discussion of the interaction between Dr. Wilson and Sheck, and then uh, his citation back to uh, Romans Romans 4, uh, the book book four of the commentary on Romans chapter five, sections three and one in that order, although obviously in book order it's one and three, And uh, that will, if we are able to do that all in one, we either do that all in one episode or do that in two separate episodes. If we do that, that would actually bring us to the middle of page 67, which would be a great leap forward, but we will see. Uh, One thing at a time, and uh, eventually we'll make some good progress. But right now we're still on page 66. And um, we'll see about that next time. Uh, see Jamie commented Oxford Press. So this is actually the the publisher is actually not Oxford Press for this. It's more Cybeck Tumbingen, uh, and and not Oxford Press. He did get a degree from Oxford, so. That's, uh, maybe the reason for thinking that I'm not great with my German pronunciations. I apologize, even though I should be able to pronounce the name of that university. It's a very respectable university, but my ability to pronounce T U umlaut B I N G E N isn't, uh, isn't great. So tubingen is how I think it's pronounced and it's more Seebeck, uh, Siebeck, I guess it's pronounced in the German pronunciation so in any event the um, thanks to everyone who's listening and following along I'll wrap this up is a shorter episode but god willing the next episode will go probably a bit longer so I don't know when that will happen if I do it all as one episode it will probably not be today possibly late tomorrow I mean late by late tomorrow I mean more than 24 hours from now So I'm not late tomorrow for those who are in Australia, I suppose. But in any event, thanks to everyone. Oh, that reminds, speaking of Australia, reminds me that I have a number of upcoming debates, including one with someone who has an Australian accent. I don't know whether he lives there or not. It doesn't, uh, I think he had said at one point he did. Uh, In any event, the, the gentleman is going to debate on the King James Version and errors in the King James Version. I'll be taking a view that there are errors. He'll be taking a view that there are not, or at least presumably that not all of the errors I identify are errors. Perhaps he'll acknowledge some errors. We'll see about that. But in any event, thanks to everybody who's watching. And uh, I will add, if you quickly, as a last comment, if you have anything you'd like me to discuss, you can reach out. The easiest ways to reach out are in the YouTube comments or the Twitter comments, which are, are much fewer at the moment. So you're more likely to get attention that way if you're looking for attention. Uh, and then the you know, Facebook comments as well if you're if you're connected on Facebook. So I try to make the Facebook videos public so that anyone can see them, but they don't all always go public. So in any event, thanks again for listening. God be with you.